All right. We're going to get into God's word before we dismiss. Um, I'm going to move fairly quickly through this, but I want to first say that today is day that is uh, like no other when we have folks who have made a decision to follow Christ and are making that public confession of faith in Jesus. Um, it, is a, it is an incredible thing. And so I challenge you. I know it's going to be hot today, and I'm not asking you to stick around for picnic if you don't feel like it, but uh, it'll take us a little uh, bit of time. I've got the truck and the baptismal at the future campus. Got to bring it to the park. So get your chairs and kind of get set after we dismiss, and uh, we'll uh, have a good time of fellowship and, and celebrating some decisions follow Christ. I preached a message some time back about baptism. It's been some years back. Uh, called The Curious Case of a Man Named Philip. And I don't have time to preach that message today. But I want to take some excerpts from it and talk to you about the importance of baptism. You know, Philip appears on, uh, early on in the story of the New Testament church. We first see him in Acts 6 uh, when he was appointed along with six other men uh, to be a deacon in the early church. And you have to understand that this story of Philip that uh, what was happening at the, at, with the church at that time. Uh, chapter 8 of Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, starts out by saying, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Even in the middle of persecution, they were preaching the word. It's curious to me how God often brings something good from something bad. That is the very story of salvation. He brings something wonderful, something incredible, something he created to be, be beautiful out of ashes. How many in your salvation experience you feel like you were brought out of the ashes? That you were literally brought out of the muck and the mire. Can you imagine? Here are a bunch of newly converted Christians who are basking in the light of God's mercy and grace, trying to live transformed lives. They're excited. Have you ever been around a brand new believer? How excited they are? I've joked with you about Brother Chris more when he was he was saved. I came in the game and knowing him after that, but boy, you just you almost catch on fire when you're next to him. You know, it's like make sure you don't wear anything flammable next to Chris. He was so, uh, he's so on fire for Jesus. And, and, and that's great. But this, this first great persecution of the church begins in these early forerunners of our faith must have thought, what in the world is going on here? I have met my Savior. I have been saved from the muck and mire. And now people are being drugged off, persecuted, and killed for their, for their belief. I'm trying to do what's right. How many have ever felt that? I'm trying to do what's right, and everything goes wrong. I'm, I'm trying to do everything's right. You know, I don't want to pick on Save, but Save just got the opportunity for an apartment. God provided and all this, and, and she's got a job that's going good and all this stuff going, and then, and then wham, in the middle of an intersection, it feels like, and this is what I told her yesterday, just keep in mind these things pass quicker than you think. But in a moment's notice, I joked with Ken about the story about when I had an accident in Tulsa visiting my grandmother and I T-boned this family and it was a bad accident. And my uncle Herschel showed up and he was just stroking my hair saying, oh, bud, it'd be all right. Don't worry. And my dad shows up and says, whose fault was it? <laughs> Ken comes in and I can see it all over him. That's just the dad, right? And uh, no, he was concerned for say, but you know, us dads, we have to work out all the details with the car and all that. 
and, and the insurance. But what's going on, God? I'm trying to do everything that's right, and everything's coming apart. But God wasn't done yet. He was about to bring something good from something bad. And that concept seems almost beyond belief. Some of us feel like this world is just going to hell in a handbasket and we can't do anything to stop it and it's taking us with it. But I know in my life, when something bad happens, I'm not often jumping up and down saying, ooh, I'll take some more of that, please, God. I just can't wait to see what you do with this, God. <laughs> you know? Um, please, bring some, heap some more trials on me, Lord. I just love to learn patience and, and, and suffer, long-suffering. Maybe you're different. I, I know there's some folks who are more optimistic than I am, and that comes a little better for them. But God's Word does tell us that He's working behind the scenes for the Christians to make things right. It's so difficult to leave the vengeance of all the evil in the world in God's hands, isn't it? Even against your brother and sister in Christ when they're not acting you know, quite like you want them to. You, you want to bring some of the, the biblical correction to them, right? It's just hard. And so, for those who call Jesus Lord and Savior, there's always hope, though. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things, say that, all things. That sounds familiar, right? Didn't we have a missionary, an RV missionary? You had to say that a few times, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally, will personally go before you. He will never fail you or abandon you. Let me tell you something, Christians. It doesn't just go for pastors. If your feet are set on solid ground and you're walking in the path that God has for you, then people can come against you all they want, Christians and non-Christians alike, and they will have to deal with the Lord Almighty themselves, not with you. You do not have to be your defender because God is your defender. And so these Christians were enduring much persecution and, and they're having to rely on God to be uh, their, their rescue. What was the good that came from the bad in this story, though? In the few minutes that we have this morning, how do you turn all this persecution around and, and see the good? Well, here it is. The church went from being local to global. The church went from local to global. And I'm going to tell you something today. In every bit of our stories, even as a church body, with this building project, that's getting ready to move. The, the thing is, all the trials and the struggle is, is the fact that God is getting ready to take us from local to global. I mean, maybe not across the world, yes, but with missionaries, yes. With more people to support more missionaries, yes. He's getting ready to take us from local to global. And that is how God turns things around. It's not in this temporary life. See, you have to be patient. You, he has to teach you to be patient, that those things that you endure here are only for a time. But you are a royal priesthood. You are separated. You are apart. You're alien passing through. And your home is being prepared for you. It says he goes to prepare a place for you. And so you don't have to be so tied to this world because it's all going to be gone eventually, but you will remain with the Lord. The church was growing by leaps and bounds, but they were, were centralized in Jerusalem. They, they had boundaries that they had to break. They had to cross. They were growing up, but they weren't growing out. And see, God always intends to grow you up so he can grow you out. 
Some of you are like, I'm not talking about physically. He wants to grow you up so he can grow you out of your comfort zone, out of your four walls. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's talking about you. The good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was not just a message for the Jews in Jerusalem. It was meant for all humanity. So sometimes good things come from bad situations, but God loves us just as we are, no matter where we're at. Trials stretch us, yes. They make us more to rely on God and less on ourselves. I've said before in a message, sometimes we say, God, let this cup pass from me. Let this thing pass from me. And he's saying, if I do that, you're just going to learn to live without me. If I give you all your wishes and all your demands, then what, what use am I to you if you're not dependent on me? We've always thought that it seems a little backwards when we see a family where there's, where there's a, a dysfunction in the family and the kids are the grown-ups taking care of the parents, right? If God allowed us to just be in so control, first of all, we'd mess it up, but he doesn't need that. He has full control. Now, I want to get back to the, the main thing of what's happening here because Philip, when he comes into the story, there's something interesting that happened. God was creating something good from something bad. It says, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And Philip's there, there's revival, mighty things happening God. And then guess what God does? He says, Philip, I need you to go to the desert. Not to the desert like we think of. The, the, the wording in the scripture refers to basically unpopulated places. That'd be like God talking to the megachurch pastor that's doing things right and everything's going good and there's great revival and signs and wonders that says, okay, now I want you to go to Wyoming where there's no church and possibly no people yet. It was, an, it was the uninhabited place that God sent Philip out on this journey. And this, this, Philip took his, uh, th- his marching papers right into Samaria a place no good Jew would have ever gone or could avoid it. The Jews did not like Samaritans. Samaritans did not like Jews. After all, Samaritans were half-breeds. This was more of a racial thing. It was a heritage thing for them. They were half-Jewish and pagan, so they didn't even worship their God. And Jewish folks were disgusted by their distant cousins and disdained for, had disdain for them. Now, it's interesting to me that Philip's not going to, to any town in the area. It seems that the city God led him to was the capital city of Samaria. It was a specific town he was sending him to. I have found that as we begin to pray specifically, God answers specifically. He is a specific God. Can you imagine what it had been like for someone in that city? It must have been, it started by, like much any other day, but it would be, soon become a day many would never forget. For on this day, God was sending Philip with a story of hope, healing, and acceptance to change broken people. The Samaritans see miracles performed in Jesus' name. Lives are changed. Relationships are restored. Grudges are forgotten. And sins are forgiven. And revival erupts. 
It was a rocking city with a rocking story, and Philip got to be in the middle of that. It was a preacher's dream, and people were ripe for the harvest. But then something else happened that was curious. God gave the, Philip the mission to go to the unpopulated place. It says, verse 26, as, Philip, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it's curious that God would send him from the midst of revival into this deserted place. But first of all, we need to understand the context of Philip's travel itinerary. There's some discussion among scholars as to what exactly the desert is in context, but again, it's not necessarily referring to the sand, dunes, and the, you know, what we normally think of as desert, but a barren, dry, arid wasteland. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been to leave that promising revival in Samaria and to be in such a wasteland? So, so here's where we are. Verse 27 so he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Now you have to understand this eunuch, basically, um, you know, sorry for bringing the, the details here, but it was typical in that time for certain people to serve in certain service to be castrated. And that's what that means, a eunuch. So, and this is a person, because of that, they could never be fully accepted into the Jewish culture. So they were, they're living and acting in a culture they could never really be a part of. They're forever to be an outsider. Yet this Ethiopian eunuch, through, through somehow, had become curious and, and fell in this curiosity of the God that they worship. And had somehow come across or had obtained scriptures. And was reading. And Philip comes upon this Ethiopian eunuch. And so we're going to go on with the story here. It says, This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. This is important. Being led of the Spirit. Knowing when the Spirit says to go, and you go. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. That's an important question. Often, often we assume people know what we're talking about when we talk about the scripture. Do you understand what you're reading? He says. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Our Ethiopian friend is reading from Isaiah 53, and he's not sure what it means he, God put Philip there to explain it to him. This is discipleship 101. This, this is evangelism discipleship 101. First of all, he was sensitive. He went. He was obedient. Two, he listened to the Spirit. And three, he took the open door, the opportunity to talk to this eunuch about the Lord. 
says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, on, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, Philip baptized him. When they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is one of the most interesting parts of the Bible because this tells me that God is also concerned about your schedule. The only thing is he wants it to be his schedule. And so if he sends you and puts you on a path you didn't plan to, he also has a way for you to miraculously make it to your next place. And so he literally transports Philip to his next duty station. I mean, incredible. Um, that's better than American Airlines can do right there. Immediate. Here's where I want to close with this. Folks, we have to understand that what God does through salvation is incredible and is transformational. But we also have to understand that God has designed our walk specifically to lead us in a direction that we may not be anticipating. And we do that through obedience. But water baptism is that first step. Because there has to be a point where there is a bold, public confirmation and proclamation of, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what God birthed in the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch that day. Not only do I want to understand the word and follow, but I want to do everything he says and follow obedience. And God provided his public confession of faith by sending Philip to baptize him. So today when they're, they're, we're standing there and, and others are getting ready to be baptized, and I know it's already getting warm outside, but keep in mind, this is not about just closing the chapter on something that happened at an altar or in a private prayer. This is the launch to the adventures God has for them from this point forward. This is the launch for them to, to be sent out, to be grown up and go out. And this is where the church comes together as a whole. All of us as believers, having been baptized in water, follow obedience, the Lord's direction as will, not just for us, but the others along those dusty, deserted places would come to know him. Amen. We're going to close in prayer, and I'm going to just challenge you. If you have not yet been baptized in water, and it might be bold, you might have to hurry and get some clothes, or you might have to just go with it. But we're going to have a baptismal, and this is not a closed time. There's some that have already asked to be baptized, so we had organized today. But anyone who's made a decision to follow Christ, I urge you to follow obedience to what, what Jesus taught us and what he did himself in the start of his ministry is to be baptized. We're identifying with Christ to be buried in our sin, to be risen again like Jesus, leaving the old person behind. And that's what baptism is about. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day, for what you've done already in this time of worship and your word. And I pray as we, we head over to the city park and God, begin to um, minister to our community, Lord, through public confession of faith, Lord, that they see the stand that these are making for you. That, God, it would begin to bring divine opportunities for each and every one of us. Open the eyes and the hearts of those who will see, God, that others may come to know you. In Jesus' name.